You're listening to the Together Church Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. For more information on Together Church, you can visit our website at wearetogether.church. We hope you enjoy today's message. We're going to finish up our series this morning. I don't, I don't know about you, but this series has kind of challenged me. It's pushed me a little bit uh, into some uncomfortable places to have to ask some real sincere questions to, to God to kind of work through and and there's been some theology shifts a little bit. And, and so I don't know about you, but I, I can tell you that it, it, it's shaped a little bit more of me and it's given me more of a, a real life uh, perspective on how we see God when God seems to not make sense. Because isn't it true? Sometimes he just simply, it doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense why, you know, we, we see some things happen and we pray for some things and then those things don't come, but other things do. And so we've been talking over the last two weeks of this, this whole thing of like when God doesn't make sense. We, we talked in week one, we said there's sometimes that God seems as if he's unattentive. Like, is he even listening? We've prayed, we've asked, and he, and he, hasn't, he hasn't answered those things. And we, what we learned was is that just because God is silent doesn't mean that he's absent. God is always at work behind the scenes, whether we see it or not. We just need to be spiritualized to be able to see. And then last week we said that sometimes God just seems late. We talked about the life of Lazarus and how they had sent the message when he was sick and it took Jesus four days after his death before he got there, his best friend. And he passes away and it's like God is late. And we know in that story that eventually Mary and Martha got exactly what they had asked for and that was for Lazarus to be healed. But it just didn't come in the form and in the way that they thought it would come. And so there's some times where we pray and, and God doesn't answer in the moment because we're not ready for it. He's trying to do something in us before he does something through us, and we have to be patient and wait on his timing and understand that while we have plans, God has purpose. Now, this week is going to be a little bit more challenging. I just want to go and throw it out. This is not a fun message today um, because, there, there, again, there are times where God will answer it in his timing, and then there's other times that God simply does not answer the prayers that we pray. And we're going to look at that in a little bit more detail today. Because when we're looking at God and we seem like today that sometimes God could just be uncooperative. Does that seem fair? Sometimes God can just seem like he's uncooperative. We know that you can do this, whatever it is that we're praying for, this healing, this, uh, this fix, fixing this fractured relationship. Like, God, we know you can do it. We know. Like, I've had to go through this mindset in these last couple of weeks that I'd find myself when, I, when I'm planning and praying through things that I've started like, well, if God, if you want to do that, God, if you want. No, no, no. God, I'm going to pray boldly for these things because I'm trusting that it's in your plan. And if it's your plan and your will, these things will come. And if I'm not play, praying in accordance to your will and your desires, you're going to shape my heart to begin praying in the way that we need to pray. That's, that's the beauty of the Holy Spirit, by the way. And, and we, when we, we pray these things and it seems like God's not being very cooperative, we know that God can do something, we believe that God will, and then God simply does not come through. Have you been there? Let's just be honest, you've been there. There's some people in your life that you've prayed for, you've lost them. There's some relationships that have never come back around, they've never been fixed. It's just like, you just kind of put that this is it, like God has not answered this, it's just not happened. And there's sometimes your dreams have just fallen to the wayside because you feel like the prayers that you've made have fallen on deaf ears. And my prayer today is that our message is going to help you create this understanding that the will of God 
what it is and how to learn to depend on Him during those times where it seems like God has just been uncooperative. Because this is the tension. We pray and we ask and He doesn't answer and now you're faced with this tension. Do we stay in this relationship with God or do we just simply bail on this? Because I didn't get what I asked for. And we might even word it this way. I simply didn't get what I felt I deserved. And let's just be honest. As followers of Jesus, did we really get what we deserved? He's given us eternal life. He's given us grace and mercy over and over and over again. You know, I can, I can think through of some prayers that I have prayed that God has answered, and there's other ones that God has, has not answered. I remember in 2007, my wife Alice and I were expecting our, our first child, Hannah, and we prayed over her. We laid hands over her. I told God, we want you to, to do whatever you want to do with her. We want you to use her. We want her to bring glory to you, whatever, whatever you want. And then at 22 weeks, God had us in this ultrasound, and our heartbeat had stopped, and we had lost our first child. And it sent me on this tailspin of, of spiritually just going, what do you not know, God? Like, what, what are you doing? And I didn't understand. And it's been years, and I still don't fully grasp and understand. But what I've had to do is surrender my will to his will. And just a few months later, I'm on a plane. I'm in, I fly to Haiti, and I'm in this little village. And there's a little boy who's on a tarp mat taking his last breath from malaria where a simple thing that we don't have to worry about, he's struggling with. Had no help. His mom is over his body, and he's dying. And all hope was gone. And we prayed over this little boy as he took his last breaths. And we prayed that the Holy Spirit would just heal him and that he could live this full life and that he would move. And we prayed over an hour over this little boy. And in the back of my mind, thinking... We prayed for my daughter the same way. God's not going to do anything here. And we pray, and we get up, and we walk away from this little boy. And about an hour later, we remembered that we had Tylenol that would help at least break the fever so he could buy him just a few more minutes with his family. And we go back, and he is sitting up, having a full conversation with his parents. The fever has broken, and he was still alive years later. Why? Why did God answer one but not the other? I mean, this kid's family, they, they went to church, but they, they didn't serve in the church. They weren't pastors. They weren't. I mean, I begin writing all these things that I have done compared to what they have done. But for some reason, God chose not to answer one prayer, but he answered the other. Seems like God's a little uncooperative. God also reminded me he didn't care what I did for him. It was his will, Right? Sometimes we want to compare our resumes to him and, and remind him. Well, God wasn't foolish, but God also knew the impact that the miracle was going to happen on one versus the other. And we don't, again, we don't know the answers for those things. Maybe one side, on the other side of heaven, when we get there, we will. But I got a feeling when we get to heaven, a lot of the questions we think we're going to ask, we're not going to want to ask because we're going to be enamored by the, the presence of God. And so there's sometimes that God answers, and there's sometimes he just seems uncooperative. So my question is, what do you do when you really are a sincere follower of Jesus, and you believe that God can answer your prayer, but God doesn't answer your prayer? And what do you do? 
I mean, a lot of times we just quit. A lot of times we don't want to move forward. A lot of times we, don't, we, just, we just want to pretend like we never even asked because we don't want to have heartbreak. And, and if I'm honest, this is why some of you have such a hard time praying about things because you feel like, what's the point? I just feel like I'm setting myself up for disappointments. In order for us to be able to pray and understand that sometimes God answers and sometimes He don't, we, we've got to get a brand new framework because I feel like in, here in, in Western culture and in our society, we, we want to have things right away, and we feel like God owes us all these things, and God needs to bless us with all these things, and we preach this prosperity. And prosperity is only good for those who are prosperous. That prosperity gospel doesn't work in places like Africa and Haiti, where you tell them, oh, the reason you're sick, you're not giving enough money. How cruel is that? They don't have anything else to give. So today I want to take a look at the Apostle Paul. Very specific story. I'm going to bring out three different thoughts about his prayer, Okay. And we're going we're gonna to tackle these things, and we're going we're gonna to get to some places that may be uncomfortable for you. And we're probably going to leave a lot of questions on the table to be asked, and we are answering a lot of questions. But I think at the end of the day, if we will wrestle with the tension that you find yourself in, that tension is where you're going to find the Holy Spirit, and that's where you're going to find your enlightenment, that's where you're going to find your conviction, and that's where you're going to find your God. Okay? We all agree on that? We're good? You ready? Point number one, true prayer isn't about getting our way, but surrendering our will. I can think of prayers that I prayed, and it was about what I wanted. God, this would be really sweet if you would do this. If you can have, if you just give me this, let me, whatever, this would be really good. And I'm learning the older I get, because in my teenage years, when I would try to pray, my prayers are very self-centered. God, if you would just let me have this car. God, I saw the way that girl looked at me. I'm taking that as a sign that you wanted her to be with me. It wasn't. She wasn't looking at me. She was looking over my shoulder. But I've learned that true prayer is not about getting away. It's just about surrendering our will to what He is. This is why when we pray, when we pray with the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit guides and gives us words to speak, and He changes the desires of our heart that way that we're praying in alignment with the Holy Spirit. And we know that this is truly what God's calling us to do. And when I look at Scripture and I look at Paul, if there's anybody that deserved an answer prayer through all of Scripture, guess who it was? I would say it was Paul. After everything that Paul has gone through, his resume is crazy. So Paul goes, he hates Christians. He can't stand the sight of a Christian. So he does everything in his power to bring disruption to the church. And he decides one way to end this is just to kill them. So for sport, Paul would go around persecuting and killing Christians to get rid of this movement. And this is what he does until he meets Jesus. He has this miraculous conversion. He meets Jesus on the road to Damascus. He goes blind for a few days. His heart begins to get changed. He gets plugged into a church body of community. And he begins to grow. And can you imagine Paul showing up to your small group for the first time, knowing his reputation? It's all of a sudden, every small group in the church was closed. Like, oh, we don't have any room for Paul, right? We know what he did. Because I'm sure that there were some people in those early church communities that Paul had killed somebody in their family or had brought oppression to them. And now you want us to welcome him? But they did. Because they understood what community was. So Paul, his whole life begins to be changed. I mean, he's, he's, he's one of those guys that goes from hating Christians to being one of the most effective Christians in the history of all of the world. I mean, he travels on a ship for about 20 years, taking the gospel everywhere that he possibly can, including Europe. And he ends up getting to Rome in chains. But he gets there. 
And he's, he's, his whole life has been miraculously changed. So he travels. In Acts chapter 20, it tells us that Paul actually raised a guy from the dead. you know this? It's a great story, by the way. Paul's preaching. And he's preaching his heart out. He's got his three-point sermon. He, he's, he's, he's killing it. There's a teenager that's asleep in the window. And as Paul is preaching, the Bible says he begins to doze off a little bit. And in the middle of the sermon, bam, guy falls out the window and dies. Can you imagine that happening? Paul stops his sermon. He walks over, raises the guy back to life, and then goes back to preaching a sermon. Now, let me just disclaimer here. If you fall asleep and fall out of your chair and die, I've never resurrected anybody. I don't know anybody in this room has. So it's, it's between you and the time it takes EMS to get here. It doesn't mean we won't try, but I just want to let you know. I, I think that's, a, that's why you got to read the Bible because there's so many interesting things. So Paul, Paul we see in Scripture, he, he actually resurrected somebody through the power of the Holy Spirit. And he pays this incredible price for all these things that he's done. He, he travels and ministers and starts churches. And everything is going well for Paul. But then the very people that he was teaching on how to bring this persecution has now turned their back on Paul. And Paul is getting everything, everything is coming his way that he had lashed out on this early church movement. So he pay, pays this incredible price. He gets stoned. He's shipwrecked. He gets bitten by a snake. He gets beaten with rods. He gets left for dead. It says that he got whipped like five different times. And every time that he got whipped, he got hit 39 times. That's a real weird number to stop on, right? Why not 40? Just go round this thing on out. Because here's the thing. In that culture, to hit somebody 39 times and whip them was not a big deal, even if they died. But if you hit them 40 times and they died, the person doing it could be charged with murder because it was much too cruel to hit somebody 40 times. But 39 was acceptable. And so Paul whipped 39 lashes over five different times. I imagine Paul's back is pretty scarred at this point, calloused from all the hits that he's taken over and over and over again. Even the sound of a whip probably just kind of Oof, ate him. The guy endured more than we ever could imagine. And I say that to say if God was going to answer anybody's prayer, you thought he would answer Paul's. So in 2 Corinthians, it brings us to chapter 12, in 2 Corinthians, starting in verse 7, this shows us this very challenging portion of Scripture. And Paul's talking here, and this is what he says. Even though I have received such wonderful revelations from God, God has given me all kinds of insight. I've been enlightened on so many things through, through the early church and through the things that he's taught me. He says, so to keep me from becoming proud. Now, how many of you know sometimes we need that little bit of keep you from becoming, becoming proud? Because humility will break the body of Christ if you don't have it. It'll break it. So to keep me from becoming proud... I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger from Satan to torment me and to keep me from becoming proud. It's interesting here, the, the word that Paul chooses to use as he's writing this, because the word thorn in the Greek actually means a stake, as in S-T-A-K-E, a stake. And this is the very thing that would be used if you're, if they were, when they're killing people in this, in this culture, this capital punishment, one of the cultural, the capital punishment measures would be that they would physically put a stake through your body. 
It's not, a, not the way that you, know, you would want to go, but it's what they do. You get my point? They did because it was a stake. Um, <clears throat> still got my dad jokes. I'm trying to get away from Father's Day. But this, this thorn, Paul uses this terminology to show that God has, has literally just pierced me with this thing that almost feels like death. Now, we don't know what it is. I mean, many scholars have tried to figure out, and they've, they've made their best assumptions that they can to say, what was this thorn that Paul's saying is in his flesh? Now, some people felt that it, it could have been a physical ailment. You know, we know from Galatians that Paul's eyesight started to go. He was a little blind. This is, also leads us to, like, the book of Hebrews. We're not 100% sure who wrote the book of Hebrews. Many people believe it was Paul, but the reason some people don't is because the Greek language from his other writings do not exactly line up with that, but it could also be that Paul was just blind and he was telling somebody what to write and their grammar wasn't as great as Paul's because Paul's a very educated man. We also don't know that if this affliction was due to, to, to physical violence that Paul faced, the afflictions that he faced, he could have had an early, uh, we probably in today's society would have diagnosed what he had with some sort of PSD, PTSD because of the, the things that he was going through. There were some spiritual and psychological struggles because everywhere he went, there was, there was an opportunity for him to pay a price. He had to watch his back constantly, not knowing what was going to happen. And, and so we, we don't know if, if the trauma of persecuting Christians, and we don't know if it was his eyesight, we don't know if it was just his older age. We don't know what it was, but what Paul says is, I had this, this thorn in my flesh. I've had it. And for us, we don't have to know what the thorn is. We do know that the thorn is both merciful and it's instructive. The reason the thorn is merciful is because given the various possibilities, you and I, I can all identify to some degree in Paul's affliction because we've gone through affliction. And we can understand that. But for... For the other side of this, it's instructive. It's instructive because it teaches us a thing or two. And what Paul's thorn was isn't the point. The point is what God's purpose was for the thorn that Paul says he just could not seem to get rid of. Now, many of you would have a thorn right now. There's some tension that you're going through. There's a thorn that is in your side. There's some type of issue in your life. There's some, some type of challenge that you found yourself up against. And you might say, well, my thorn is a person. And if they're here, don't look at them. Don't make it weird. But it could be a person. It could be an ailment. It could be something that is bringing a challenge or some hurt to your life. And it just won't go away. You prayed, and God just will not take that thing away. And so you've been trying all different kind of things to get rid of it, and it just like, it, it won't. I mean, maybe it's a sleeping issue. It, it could just be that you're just praying that God would change some circumstance. Whatever it is, you look at it and you say, God, would you please change this? And God isn't changing it. And remember what we said, prayer just isn't about us getting our way. Sometimes it's about us surrendering our will to him. And sometimes that comes in the form of these, these thorns that are in our side. So the second thing that I want to point out here is this, is that prayer reminds us that we're not in control, and it keeps us close to the one who is. Because these thorns in your side should be pushing you closer to God than they do bringing you further away from Him. Because when we pray, I'm reminded who I'm praying to. This is why when they asked Jesus, how do you pray, He started out, He said, when you pray, you pray our Father. Who, who is, abides and lives and resides in heaven. You, you need to know who you're praying to. 
Because when we recognize that, oh my goodness, I am not just randomly praying to something out there. I am praying to a heavenly Father that is real and that is active and is reigning supreme on His throne. That brings a little bit of humility, doesn't it? Because we, we recognize the presence of who we've come in into. So prayer reminds us that, that I can't control all these situations. I, I don't have control over these things. So I, I'm having to, to, to pray so that it reminds me that I'm not in control and that when I'm praying, it'll keep me in the presence of the one who is in control. And then when I don't agree with the way that this situation is going, I'm close enough to hear the very heartbeat of God to know that I'm on the right tempo and in the right movements moving towards the things that he's called me to do. So prayer is a reminder for us. Look what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 12, 8. He says three different times. Three different times he did what? Say it loud and proud. Three different times he did what? You ever been there? God, I know we talked about this a little bit, but I'm begging you right now. I am begging you right now. You've been there. I think about my, my oldest daughter. She's in this new thing that when she wants something, she simply builds us a PowerPoint presentation. I don't know where she gets it from. Now, she is on this kick, and she wants a rabbit. She wants a pet rabbit. I will not point fingers at the people that cause that in this church, but there's some people that are guilty that have now caused me to have to sit through this PowerPoint. And she's pointing out, Dad, Rabbits love their owners. They'll recognize their name and their voice, and they'll follow you around. They're not that dirty to clean up after. They're very clean animals. And she goes through all. They've got different pictures, and she's got everything placed and, like, little animations. And it's like, sometimes we do that with God, isn't it? God, let me give you this presentation. I really, really want this, so let me slide number one. And we'll, we'll begin going through this process of please, God, because this is a last resort of, of begging because she has asked a few times before about a pet rabbit. And now we're, we've moved to, to hyper mode of, of preparing these beautifully done, by the way, PowerPoint presentations. And she's just begging. And this is Paul. Got three different times. And, and we're not saying that he asked once and then he asked again and then he asked again. The literal language there is over seasons, three different seasons, God, that he has asked and begged and pleaded. So it's not like, God, please, God, please, God, please, all right, we're done. We're talking about seasons of asking the same thing over and over and over again. And he said three different times, I begged for the Lord to please take this away. Please take this away. Do, do you feel, do you feel what Paul's saying? Do you feel the weight of what Paul's saying? Because you've been there. God, would you please just take this away? God, would you please just hear me? I am begging you, please, Please. And we pray with this anguish. God, just please. And so Paul here is begging. And maybe some of you are there now. Like you're in these seasons where you're praying for God to take some things away. You're pleading. You're just asking him to, to help you like you've seen, you've seen him help other people. It's like he doesn't make any sense why you're not, you're not hearing me. And you think about it, that God's not answering this thing. But isn't it 
funny how quick we get tunnel vision and forget about all the other blessings that God has given us, that some that we didn't even ask for. Because we're so focused on this one thing that we think we need. And there's a big difference between the thing that we need and the thing that we want. Because really our needs become our wants. Because what we need, God knows. And so, you think about Paul. He uses Paul and the miracles that happen through Paul again and again and again. Paul's done all these things. So, of course, Paul knows that God can do this. If anybody knows that he can do this, he knows that, that God can do this. And Paul begs, and what does God say? This is not the answer that we'd be expecting from God. He says this in 2 Corinthians 12, 9. Each time, each time, he got the same. How many times has God had to tell the same thing over and over again? God, are you sure you don't want me to post this? This would be great. Nope. But it, nope. I checked the gram. Nope. Look what he says. Each time he said the same thing. My grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. I'm going to be honest with you. When I was studying this passage this week, all I could think was, that's not what I asked you, God. <laughs> it's like, I'm begging you to take this away. I didn't, I, I know that your grace is sufficient. I know that your power works best in my weakness. But that, uh, that doesn't have anything to do with it. Like, I know your grace is, is your grace is this unmerited favor. Like, you've given me salvation. I didn't earn it. You gave it to me. So this doesn't make any sense because Paul here is a believer. He's already received grace. He has grace. He's living in grace. So what a strange answer that Paul would keep getting the same answer that my grace is sufficient. This made no sense. I was prepared this morning to come on the stage and tell you this is the one piece of the passage that I still haven't figured out. But then God does amazing things on his timing. On Friday, Friday morning, I'm sitting in the living room with, with Kathy Harmon. And we're having this conversation about the decisions that they're going to make. And at that time, we, 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 nobody knew that, that Scott's life was going to end in just a few hours. And she said, I, I, you know, how are you doing? And she says this, I have this peace about everything. And then it dawned on me. She had a peace because she had a presence. Listen to me. She had a peace because she had a presence. We look at grace as a forgiveness of sin, but grace is so much more than that. Grace is the fact that you and I sit in the presence of God. We take our dirty, sinful selves and put ourselves in the place of a holy God. Tell me that's not grace. Grace is, I don't understand why we're doing what we're doing. I don't understand why I'm struggling with the things that I'm struggling through. But I'm in the presence of God, and that is all I need right now. What do I think God was telling Paul? When Paul said, I've begged you three different times. I've asked you over and over and over again. I know you can do these things, and you have it. And God says, listen, Paul, my presence is sufficient. That's all you need. Yeah, I know it's painful. Yes, I know it hurts. But sometimes we've got to take our eyes and our feelings off the pain and put it on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. So what was God telling them? No, I'm not going to take this away. But my grace, my presence is sufficient. It's interesting that grace is when God freely extends himself, leaning and reaching to us. 
because he is disposed to bless and be near us. It's who he is. And so Paul says, why didn't you take it away? I'm asking. God says, don't worry about me not taking it away. You're focusing on the pain and not the presence. Because when you focus on the presence, the pain is a lot easier to bear. Because Paul, in your weakness, that's when I really shine. I mean, I always shine. I know you think I can't shine any brighter. But I, I, my power works best in weakness. When you get out of the way, you'll begin to see me do things that you never thought. And then when you see that, you won't worry about the, the thorn anymore. You won't have to worry about it anymore. So God is, is freely extending himself. He is leaning and reaching to Paul because he wants to bless Paul. He wants to be near Paul. It's this leaning in to God. It's the God saying, I- I'm here for you. I'm here for you. Isn't that what you want most when you're going through pain? You, you don't necessarily want to hear people talk. You just want presence. In, in the Jewish culture, they have what they call sitting shiva. And it's when a person passes away, the community shows up, and they sit in your meeting space, and they don't say a word unless they're asked something because it's a belief that presence is more than anything just knowing that someone is there and fighting for you and this is what God is doing with Paul is going hey I get it but man you're missing the point I'm here my presence is here and we tend to say God this is what I need this is what I want if you'll do this then I'll have what I want and and God says no 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 this is not what you need because I'm enough I'm all that you need. I'm all that you need. My grace in this situation is what you need. This is, it's the leaning into the presence of God. It would be the same as us saying, God, this is what I need. And God's response would simply be, no, I am what you need. I am what you need. And what we have to know is that God doesn't exist to serve us. And that, that's, that's a completely different topic for a completely different day, but we have grown up in this culture that God is there to serve us, and we've gotten it backwards. We do not sit on the throne of heaven barking out commands. He does. He sits in the place of authority. Isn't it amazing that we'll fuss about that with pastors and churches, but we won't focus on that in life that Jesus is sitting on the throne? Because I can tell you in this church, Jesus sits on the throne. He is in charge. He's the head of the church. And it's the same way in our lives. He is the head of our life. But you don't know that if you're not in his presence. You don't know that if we just, if our, if our thoughts and our prayers are always me-centered, me-focused. I've noticed that more and more about my life is a lot of my prayers tend to be me-focused. And, and a lot of churches and prayers, and prayers in churches, when you look at prayer requests, They're inward. They're not really outward for other people, for other things. Because we get so consumed with us, there's just this natural bent that we're selfish people. Am I I correct in that? Or am I the only one that feels that I just have this natural bent to be selfish? I hide the Oreos. I don't want anybody taking them, so I hide them. I mean, I haven't been able to have Oreos lately, but I hide them. I hide them very well. Right? I hide things. It's my natural selfish thing it's not that I don't want my kids to enjoy themselves it's just that I want daddy to enjoy a lot more than they do 
I worked for him, I paid for him. And so when we, when we get this thing that we think that God exists to serve us, it'll also come down to you think people exist to serve you too. If you see somebody that's really selfish, look at their relationship with God and that'll tell you why. Because they also have this perspective that God's here to serve and if, God, if God's going to serve my needs, this is why I'm going to treat him as a vending machine, punch in the right code, the right verse, the right prayer. He's going to drop the blessing. He's going to give me what I want. And this is why we wrestle when God doesn't answer prayers because it's not fitting in the theological framework that we've allowed culture to build for us. Oof. That package came through the front door a little hard, didn't it? So prayer reminds us that we're not in control. That's why Paul kept praying about the same thing. He was reminded over and over again. My grace is sufficient. God will give you the same answer over and over again. He's not going to finally go, okay, I give up. I'm tired of talking to you. Just, just get it. Right, I don't want to see another PowerPoint presentation. Let's go to PetSmart, right? It's kind of how you feel. So prayer reminds us we're not in control, and it keeps us close to the one who is. So we're pressing in season after season. God, I'm seeking you. God, I'm listening to you. God, I'm believing in you. God, I'm trusting in you. Because even if you don't do this, I still trust you. That's what I love about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. When they went in the fire, they said, even if he doesn't, that was his clap back. Even if he doesn't, he's still God. Even if he doesn't. What situations that you need to look, like, look at right now that have bothered you? What is your thorn? And say, even if he doesn't, take this away. He is still God. Here's the third thing. I want to move here pretty quick. But prayer isn't just asking, but it's trusting. It's trusting. Trusting that God's going to give us what we need. Because he is all we need. He is more than enough. So it's, it's really us praying and asking, hey, I have this thorn, I have this thing that I'm going through, and I'm asking, but God, I'm just trusting that even if it's not what I want, it is exactly what you want. It's not just asking what you want, it's trusting that God knows best. And Paul's looking back on this thorn, and he's thinking to himself, this was actually a good thing. What I thought was meant to kill me, God has used to humble me. Because Paul recognized his thorn. Remember, he said that God has given me this so that I wouldn't be proud. There's some things in your life you're trying to pray away, and God has it there for a reason. C.K. Chesterton once said, don't ever tear down a fence until you ask why that fence is around that thing. So God has put a fence around some things, and we're trying to tear the fence down. He's like, no, 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 you let that out. There's a wild bull that's going to get loose. Like, like you need to know. Look, look what he says. 2 Corinthians 12, verses 9 through 10, he says this, So now I am glad to boast about my weakness. Anybody? I haven't heard any of that lately. My marriage is falling apart, baby. Yeah. I have an addiction. We're not, we're not boasting about the weakness. I can't seem to get it together. I prayed once this week. We don't do that. But Paul says, I'm glad to boast about my weakness. Because here's the thing. Isn't it nice to know that we don't have it all together? It's nice to know that. Because I know that you're not perfect. I'm not perfect. We're all broken. And we're on this journey together to become like Jesus. So that way you don't disappoint me when you do something that I felt like you should have done it. And it was a standard. And you don't get disappointment when I, when I mess up. Because we realize we're all broken. There's grace. My grace is sufficient. 
So I boast in the weakness because when I recognize my weakness, I can't boast in something that I don't recognize. And when I recognize that I have a weakness and I realize that I'm in the presence of God, His power works in that weakness. And I don't have to do anything but just be obedient to the things that He's called me to. He says, so I boast about my weakness so that, because if you're going to boast, you need to know the reason you're boasting about your weakness. He says, so that the power of Christ can work through me. You need to call it what it is in your life so Jesus can work through it. So you know what the problem is. He says, listen, this is the hardest thing. And this is the piece that I want to push the hardest this morning with you. Paul says, he's talking about this thorn. He's talking about the problems that he's having. He, he's, he's focused on it. He's saying that I've pleaded, I've pleaded, I've pleaded. And God said, my grace is sufficient. And listen to what he says in verse 10. This is the place we've got to get. He said, that's why I take pleasure in my weakness. And in the insults. And in the hardships. And in the persecutions. And the troubles that I suffer for Christ. For when I am weak, then... I am strong. I don't remember one day that I thought, man, I take pleasure in the persecution. I take pleasure that I am sick right now. I take pleasure that I am in the middle of the psychological warfare that's going on in my mind. I've never have stopped to put myself in that thing and say, that, that whatever your thorn is, have you ever thought about your thorn and the thing that is in your side and you've prayed and it just won't go away and all you can think is, I take pleasure that I get to experience this. What if those migraines that you've prayed and asked God to take away for years is the one thing that he's using because that's the constant communication that he's getting from you is on that thing. I got a thorn in my flesh right now that I have pleaded with God forever to please take it away. But every time I ask him, I get the same answer. That's the very thing I'm using to draw you to me and to keep you humble. And it's not easy. But I'm finding more and more that in my weakness is when God's power shines. Not mine, God's. So it's not the, the successes that make me closer to God. It's not the resume that I can put together and give to Him. It's in those times when I can't do anything but depend on God that helps me to know Him in a more intimate way and to know that I'm not in control of all this. Goodness gracious, that's the gospel. That's the gospel. Why aren't we preaching this to people to set them free besides telling them, here's the 14 different things that you need to do to have a better life? They don't need a better life. They need a life that is built in Jesus because he is life. When we try to teach people how to have a better life, they're dead. In their trespasses, they're dead. They don't know what life is. Just because you're breathing doesn't mean you're alive. And this is what God's trying to tell Paul. And this is the message that he's conveying to us today, is to recognize the weakness. Recognize the very thing that is in your life. We've got to get to a place to say, I want it gone, but God, I take pleasure if that's the thing that's going to bring me closer to you. When I rewind back to the story, when we first lost our daughter, she was the very thing that got us to Monk's Corner. She's the big reason that we're right here today. She never took her first breath, never said her first words, never took her first steps. But God used her to change our lives. It was a thorn. And you have your thorn. And you have your wounds, and Paul's perspective changed over time. 
So here Paul looks back and people say, time heals all wounds. You've heard that? But you start looking at people that you had issues with 30 years ago and you're like, time doesn't heal. Man, they're still bitter. They're still rude. They're still hateful. They're hurt other, there's a pile of bodies in their wake of friendships that they've damaged. You know people like that, don't you? And time didn't heal all wounds. Because we get it wrong. It's not time that heals those wounds. It's times with God's presence that heals wounds. It's God's presence. God brings healing. So some of you are in a place right now and you hate the place that you're in. You have a thorn. And you may didn't have any language to put around it, but now you have some language to put around it. That God has given me a thorn, and maybe that thorn is for you to be closer to Him. If God doesn't do exactly what you wanted Him to do, it doesn't make Him any less God. It makes Him more God. So we're going to continue asking, and we're always going to believe for miracles, but not only are we we're going to ask, but we're also going to trust because prayer isn't just getting God to do what we want. Prayer is surrendering our wills to Him. And we pray this prayer that your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Here's what I want, but not my will. Your will be done. Does that make sense? It's probably a lot more questions that you have now than you did when you came in here, and that's okay because that's where the Spirit works. But I'll leave you with this thought. Learn to be content in His presence. Learn to be content in His presence, which means you've got to get into His presence. Spend some time with Him this week. Get in your car and just turn everything off and just have, except for the car, and have a conversation with God. Well, how do I do that? Just like I'm talking to you right now, I have conversations with God all the time. They sound weird, but it's just me talking. So if you ever see me and we're driving and you're like, what is he doing? I'm just talking to God as if he's sitting in the passenger seat. That seems weird. He probably should be sitting in the driver, but you get my metaphor. Just spend some time with him. Because wouldn't you agree with me is that one minute in his presence is better than nothing at all? Because I believe in just a few seconds, God can utilize those few seconds to completely shift your entire day. Because now you realize you're walking with him empowered with that of his Holy Spirit. So I don't know what prayer God's not answering. And he may not answer it. And if he doesn't answer it, he is still God. And find grace and sufficiency in his presence. Father, thank you so much today. Sometimes we come across passages that you, you gave Paul that he wrote, and they're uncomfortable. And sometimes you give us thorns that are uncomfortable. And yes, we want them to be taken away. And yes, God, we, we know all the reasons that we feel like you should. But Lord, may we just understand that some of the thorns that you've given us are for our better. And may we understand even if it's something that causes us to be weak, it brings humility to us. So as we pray to you and just ask in these next few moments, God, that you would reveal those things to us and help us just to find contentment. Contentment in who you are and that we believe you can do whatever you want to do and that you're absolutely who you say that you are. Thank you for being a God that loves, protects, and gives grace. 
And we pray these things in your name. Amen. Would you stand and let's sing this morning.